This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 54 of the Rebel Author Podcast. A little bit unusual this week as I am in the throes of multiple deadlines and uh, so I can't do the introduction that I would normally do but I did want to update you on a few things before we dive into the interview today. Then next week I will make up for it with a normal introduction and all of Rebel Stories and all the usual good stuff that uh, each episode usually brings. So uh, the few things that I wanted to let you know about this week. Number one, if you didn't catch it, um, I did a takeover of Mark Leslie Lefebvre's Stark Reflections podcast. That was episode 155, 155 on his podcast. And we had a right giggle and we reflected on all things rebellious. And yeah, it was really good. And thank you so much, Mark, for uh, letting me come on and steal your show and for helping me to to celebrate the one year anniversary of the Rebel Author Podcast. So I will leave a link in the show notes to that. Next up, if you are listening to this in real time, then this Thursday at 7 p.m. UK time, I am going to be doing a live webinar with Pro Writing Aid, and that will be all about uh, the anatomy of prose and how to improve your prose. So it's completely free, and if you would like to catch that, then I'm also going to leave a link in the show notes for that. Last but by no means least, I have an absolute stonker of a bargain for you. I am joining 16 other authors in a story bundle promo. So this bundle is specifically for NaNoWriMo. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's National Novel Writing Month, which happens in October. So Kevin J. Anderson, a huge uh, hybrid author, uh, curates this uh, story bundle box of books for um digital sorry box of book digital books for authors every year for nano and this year i was lucky enough to uh join them and there is an absolute stack load of books you really do not want to miss out on this so for example they have got books on the mechanics of plotting um on obviously uh, my books are in there so i've got the 10 steps to hero and 13 steps to evil if you haven't read them now is the time to get them because you're essentially getting them for a dollar each uh because this bundle is like 20 dollars, and you get uh, all of these books and you also get a course which is worth like i think it's like 150 dollars. so what else is in there there is there is a book on mindset so stop worrying start writing by sarah painter she's also been on the podcast she is just wonderful um there's audio for authors by joanna penn mastering amazon descriptions by brian d, d. meeks uh, killer subject lines by andrea pearson the nifty 15 by honore corda and brian d meeks um what else turning setbacks into opportunity by christine Catherine rush um, and the course that's included is How Can Your Business Survive the Downturn by Dean Wesley Smith. And then there are there's also the five-day novel by Scott King and a bunch of other books in there. So yeah, guys, if you would like a bumper pack of books for your Kindle, uh, as well as a, a, a new course, then go and check it out. I'm going to leave a link in uh, the show notes to this. You are getting 16 books for $20 plus the course, which is like $150, $180. So it is super fucking good value. Um, and all in time for NaNoWriMo as well. All right, that's it from me uh, today. I will be back next week uh, with thank yous to new patrons and uh, rebel stories and all of the usual stuff. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am super fucking excited because I'm joined by one of my writing faves. Today, I am joined by Jenna fucking Moresi. Hell yeah, I am. <laughs> For anyone who hasn't heard um, Jenna's first episode, she is a super rebel. She's a returning guest. Um, she was on episode 10, uh, where we were talking all about how to make YouTube work as an author. 
But um, for those listeners who haven't heard it, uh, tell everyone a little bit more about you. And, oh, wait, no, don't do that. Let me tell everyone about you, and then <laughs> you can tell everyone a little bit more. Okay, so I'm going to read your bio first. Jenna Moresi is a number one best-selling author of dark fantasy and science fiction, as well as a YouTube sensation with quite literally hundreds of thousands of subscribers. The Saviour's Champion, her first novel in the Saviour's series, was voted one of the best books of all time by the Book Depository. Born and raised in Silicon Valley, Jenna spends her free time laughing until her face hurts with her goofball fiancé and snuggling with her tiny dog, Butters. I added her name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, your turn. Tell everyone a little bit more about you uh, for anybody who didn't hear uh, episode 10 of the episode. And I guess your writing journey and, um, and where you got to, how you got to where you are. And I guess an update, because it's been almost a year since you were on the show. So what have you been doing in the last year? Well, my name is Jenna Moresi. Like you said, I am a YouTuber over on the channel Writing with Jenna Moresi, where I dish out tons of writing advice as well as publishing advice. I am a self-published author um, and lots of business advice. I have a background in business, so I was able to combine my business knowledge with my passion of writing and turn it into a lucrative career. And since I was able to do that, I try to make it a little bit easier for everyone else. So you can check out my channel for lots of writing advice and tips and lots of uh sarcasm and shenanigans and f-bombs uh not safe for work channel just a heads up <laughs> don't play it when the kitties are around um, oh, no, i definitely remember listening to your um videos when i was still in my day job and literally laughing so hard i snorted in the middle <laughs> of the office and then i'd have to be like oh yeah shit uh you know just, uh not watching youtube in the middle of the office like i just i could remember at least two separate occasions when I did that and I had to like snuffle the phone under the desk because I was just pissing myself at you. I love that. Thank you so much. Because for me, when I started the channel, I would look for writing advice online because, you know, I was trying to become an author and all the advice was like so stuffy and boring or very like uh, self-important and eloquent. And it's like, dude, you're not like fucking changing the world. You're just writing a book, you know, it, like take it down a notch. So for me, my whole goal with my channel was to be straightforward, get to the point, give the, give the solid advice that's digestible for anyone and make it fun because writing is supposed to be fun. Why is everyone being so stuffy and boring about it? So it makes me happy when, when people laugh at my channel. <laughs> yeah, I really did. But outside of that, uh, like you said, I am a dark fantasy and science fiction author. I am currently working on uh, my dark fantasy romance series, The Savior series. The first book, The Savior's Champion, is already out right now, so everyone go buy it. It's a number one bestseller. It's amazing. It's wonderful. You'll love it. And The Savior Sister comes out on September 29th, so it's available for pre-order right now. Go and pre-order it. You'll love it. It's wonderful. Buy it. Yeah, and by the time this airs, um, it will be out. So, oh, yeah. Go buy it. <laughs> go buy it. Like, forget pre-ordering it. Just fucking buy it. Buy the desk. I've read it. You should buy it. You should read Thank it. You. it Thank fantastic. you. Thank you. Like, and Jenna's books are these, like, I'm not going to lie. They are weapon size books. <laughs> like, they are tomes. And, like, I sometimes shy away from reading really big books. And I tell you what. It is one of the most juicy, like, keep you up until 3 a.m. books I've read in a long time. So for anybody who likes really, you know, books that make you, when you get to the end of the chapter, you're like, oh, must read on. There's books like that. Thank um, you. Okay, cool. So we are here to talk about dark fantasy. So can you explain the difference between standard fantasy and dark fantasy? And where, where is the line with horror aspects? And I, and I guess where is the line in general? Um, well, the main difference between dark fantasy and regular fantasy is dark fantasy, first of all, is a subgenre of fantasy, obviously. And basically, it's fantasy with an overall ominous or sinister tone. I like to define it as fantasy that has a lot of moments that make you think, dun dun dun. So it's just kind of a, a darker version of fantasy. Um, some ways that this is more specifically defined is that fantasy, obviously, 
usually has an emphasis on good versus evil. There's a bad guy, there's a hero, there's a knight, and then there's an evil warlord or a warlock or something like that. Um, with dark fantasy, it's not even so much a difference between good and evil. It's about analyzing the fine line between good and evil. And by that, I mean in dark fantasy, sometimes the good guys, the main characters, are evil. Sometimes you are following the dark evil warlord as he fights another dark evil presence. Um, also with dark fantasy, maybe the quote unquote good guys aren't evil, but maybe they're very gray. Maybe they are people who kind of fall between in the middle ground of they're a little bit good, they're a little bit bad. You're going to see a lot more gray characters in dark fantasy than you would in standard fantasy. Or if your main characters are good, maybe they are grappling with the line between good and evil. Maybe they are trying to figure out where they stand in that line. Maybe they're trying to figure out how much evil can I get away with to sort of make my point or to achieve my goal. Uh, for example, in the Savior series, uh, my two main characters, my quote unquote good guys, are both murderers. They both murder people. You know, that is an inherently evil thing to do. Um, but they're the heroes of the story. So that's one of the things that separates dark fantasy from standard fantasy. Um, dark fantasy also can dabble in horror. Uh, when I say that people think of like jump scares and you know stupid stuff like that it's 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 not really like that think creepy scary monsters or killers and again when we look at fantasy there are lots of monsters in fantasy uh, but no one looks at a dragon and thinks creepy uh, but they might you know, see some kind of skeletal fanged creature lurking in the woods is creepy. So dark fantasy will have more that variety of monsters. Um, and again, killers, is that's something that we see in fantasy quite a lot, maybe an evil king or something like that. Dark fantasy might have a serial killer, something that's a bit more sinister and ominous. Um, the last thing to touch on is death. There is usually some kind of embedded element of death into the plot itself. Now, a lot of people hear this and jump the gun. They think, oh, people die in my book. It's dark fantasy. It takes a little bit more than people dying in your book for it to be dark fantasy. For example, the Game of Thrones series, tons of people die. Pretty much everyone dies in that series, and it's not dark fantasy. It, what separates dark fantasy from regular fantasy in terms of death is that the death is embedded into the plot itself. It's part of the point of the book. So for example, the Game of Thrones series is about people battling for the throne. That's not an inherently death-related plot. Whereas in the Savior series, the first book of the series is literally about a deadly killer tournament where death is an actual word you would use to describe the plot itself. So if death is somehow embedded into the plot itself, there's a better, a bigger chance that you're writing a dark fantasy as opposed to just standard fantasy. Mm. So I'm guessing, uh, I don't know if you've read it, but Nevernight, that Nevernight series by Jay Kristoff must be dark fantasy as well then, because that's, death is very much embedded in it. She's like a badass assassin. I haven't read it, but Meg keeps telling me that I need to read it. So it's oh. on my TBR. So I can't, I can't comment on that, but okay. it's probably a good chance. Yeah, I it's also on my TBR. So I, I, I'm <laughs> looking for it behind me, but I know it's there somewhere. Um, yeah, I have to read it too. Okay, cool. So that was super comprehensive. I love that. And um, I think I... I think um, I'm even more convinced now that uh, the next series that I write, uh, so forgetting the next book that I write, the next series I write is dark adult fantasy um, for basically all the reasons that you just said. So yeah, that's cool. Just the title alone. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. So I'm yeah, not yeah, 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 you are. No, you are, you are, you are. Murdering magicians, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, the title alone, it's like, yes, dark fantasy for <laughs> yeah. sure. I mean, murder is in the title. Like, yeah, yeah. I, and I'm so excited for that because dark fantasy is my favorite kind yeah. of fantasy. So I'm like, oh, I can't wait. And both of my main characters are like so close to the line of <laughs> villains that I, I'm not sure which way they're gonna end up at the end of the book so yeah yeah I, yeah and 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 with my main characters Tobias and Layla that's literally part of their journey um in the savior's champion Tobias's journey is he starts off very uh naive and you know he's not aware of the darkness in the world you know he, he hasn't been exposed to it because he's lived a very simple life and throughout the book it's him having to make these decisions that he would consider very evil 
and having to come to terms with the fact that he's going to have to do bad things to make something that he believes is good come true. So that's something that he struggles with. And Layla, um, in her book, uh, The Savior Sister, by the time her story starts, she's already done a ton of evil shit. You know, she's, she's killed people. She has blackmailed people. She's done some sinister stuff. And she's struggling with that because her whole title in, in existence is uh, revered as goodness. And yeah. she feels like she's sort of letting her lineage down because she's this little dark creature. Yeah. And so. I love the, like, the, like, like she is a complete juxtaposition because her whole like power is around saving people and being a healer. And yet all her actions are to kill and to end and to murder. So I love that like juxtaposition, the conflict like in her, in the story. And um, yeah, and it feels so, so like full circle. So yeah, props to you girl. Thank um, you. Right, so what do you think the key tropes are, or if not tropes, then like reader expectations uh, for dark fantasy? Every genre has expectations, I suppose. So like um, in a lot of um, horror books, even though there's lots of terrible things, ultimately it's usually about hope unless it's really triply dark um, horror. So yeah, what are, what are the reader expectations or tropes um, for dark fantasy? Well, I'm going to speak very vaguely on this because if we go into hyper specifics, there's like thousands upon thousands of tropes you could get into. But the most obvious one is going to be magic. This is fantasy we're talking about. It's very hard to write a fantasy book without some element of magic. Typically in dark fantasy, uh, the magic tends to be dark magic. You'll have see a lot of like uh, blood magic, death magic, shadow magic, that kind of stuff. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Like for example, in The Savior Sister, uh, the only magical creature is the savior and her magic is all goodness and he healing and light and all that but she's a killer <laughs> exactly so but but magic is going to be a very prominent theme in dark fantasy again as i already mentioned uh the fine line between good versus evil comes up in dark fantasy quite a bit um and if it's not the fine line between good versus evil it's the prominence of evil period so if you're not talking about you know what separates good and evil then you're talking about everyone's evil who's the evilest you know like who's the worst you know the, and maybe that person should lose but is it really worth it if the good guy or the winner is still evil you know some some kind of examination of morality and ethics um the next two most popular things that come up in dark fantasy will be politics and religion. Um, looking at politics is usually some kind of, uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever. It's usually some kind of royal line, you know, some kind of uh, corrupt uh, king, corrupt queen, corrupt uh, politics comes up a lot in dark fantasy. One, because it's really relatable to the real world. And two, because that's where a lot of evil comes from. If someone has a ton of power and they're, you know, a ton of political power and they are, you know, corrupt, that's going to bleed a lot of evil into the world that your story takes place in. So it's a very, very easy way to turn your fantasy from regular fantasy to dark fantasy. And as I mentioned, the last point is religion. Um, you see that come up a lot in dark fantasy, gods, goddesses, deities, demons, um, ghosts, spirits, angels, all of that good stuff. That comes up a lot in dark fantasy because religion is another polarizing topic that, you know, has to, well, first of all, religion often sets the tone for morality, and also there's a lot of corruption in religion. There's a lot of people, you know, in history who have used religion as a way to um, control people or as a way to hurt people. So that's, that's exactly, so that's a theme that is often explored in dark fantasy as well. For example, the Savior Sister has a very heavy emphasis on religion. Um, you know, they worship their savior as a holy figure, and then you find out that this, <laughs> there's a lot of corruption going on behind the scenes with that religion. Yeah, I love it. As you were talking, I was like, the three things that control all of us in our in society are the financial system, the legal system, and the spiritual system, and all three are fucked. <laughs> like, if you, like, I know it's controversial. Like, a, you know, no disrespect across any of those those three sectors, but you know, all three of those cause problems and mm -hmm. wars and famine and you know, like maybe we should all just stop trying to control shit. <laughs> No, but that's, 
That's true. And that's why those things are reflected so much in dark fantasy is mm -hmm. because dark fantasy is dark. It's ominous. It's sinister. And it's very, very easy to create some system of evil or some kind of villain within one of those systems. You know, mm -hmm. it's very easy because it's very realistic. Absolutely. Okay. Do you, do you think there are any mistakes that writers make when trying to um, write dark fantasy? Anything that come, crops up, uh, common irritations for you perhaps when you've read dark fantasy books? God, yes. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is an issue in a lot of fantasy, but it's especially prevalent in dark fantasy. And that's that, oh, it's supposed to be dark and sinister. I'm gonna kill everyone in the book. You know, they just kill, 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 like death all over the fucking book and and people will will hit me up and be like you'll love my book everyone dies because i i have there's a lot of death in my book because it's a dark fantasy however that's not what i pick up a book for yes i i love good battles and violence in what I read, but I like battles and violence because it puts you on the edge of your seat. It gives you suspense. You're worried, is my favorite character going to live or are they going to die? I don't like violence for the sake of violence. Pretty much no one likes gratuitous violence. And a lot of people will think in order for their book to qualify as dark fantasy, they just got to kill a bunch of characters and just make it very gratuitous and just whatever, just blood all over the pages. That's not true. I mean, if you compare the Saviors uh, series to uh, the Game of Thrones series, which is not dark fantasy, way more people die in Game of Thrones than they do in the Saviors series. So this is not about body count. It's not like if you kill 50 characters, congratulations, it's a dark fantasy. Um, death in a book should have a point. It should mm. be meaningful. Um, I don't mean that every character who dies needs to have this lengthy backstory and it's got to completely, uh, you know, change the course of the novel, but there should be a point in every death. It shouldn't just be spilling blood for the sake of spilling blood. And if you're only doing it for shock value, then it's not going to be shocking any longer because, mm -hmm. you know, one shock value death after another shock value death after another shock value death, it'll create a system where now what's shocking is if a character lives. So don't do it just for the sake of, you know, spilling blood. It doesn't make your book dark fantasy. It just makes your book suck. Um, the other thing that I would um, like to mention is that uh, some people hear that dark fantasy tends to overlap horror. Um, dark fantasy doesn't have to overlap horror. Um, it can, but it doesn't have to. And some people hear that it can overlap horror and they take it too far into horror to the point where it is a horror novel. It's not dark fantasy. So I would take a look at what you're working on and ask yourself, is there more fantasy in this story or is there more horror? If you've gotten to the point where there's more horror, then it is a horror novel. It's not dark fantasy anymore. So make sure you understand that it, dark fantasy can have a sprinkling of horror in it, but it's not in itself a horror book. I love that. And I, I particularly love uh, what you said about making the deaths have a point. I am uh, like prepping, um, a book called The Scent of Death, which is not dark fantasy, um, <laughs> but death is like my whole thing. But anyway, um, but I am being really super intentional with it. And I feel like I have something to say about intentional writing, but I don't, I'm still like percolating it and it may be, I don't know what it will be, but I have really come to intentional writing like through the through my writing journey, I suppose. And I definitely did not write my first series intentionally um like obviously I meant to write it but um <laughs> what I mean is that I with the scent of death I'm making a lot of very intentional choices before I start there are very minute uh details in the story that are intentional and I think when you do that it levels up your story so if you kill off a character make sure you have a fucking reason why like make sure you're doing it intentionally for a reason with a solid justification and um, because i think it does it just polishes that story and makes it more whole um mm. but yeah anyway I, I i'm still not quite there with what it is that i'm trying to say um about intentional writing but i really think intentional writing is a thing and um 
it's very definitely not what I did with my first series. So yeah, there's a, it's a, there's a difference. Anyway, um, okay, so I have already mentioned the weapon size of your book. Um, <laughs> but as I also mentioned, it's super fast paced and easy to read. So like, how? How do you do that? What tips can you give listeners um, for creating pace and that easy, you know, must consume um, feeling in their stories? Uh, my number one tip, and this is just my number one tip for uh, writing fiction in general, is keep the story moving. Every single chapter should move the plot forward. And, I'm, and it, it can move subplots forward as well, but every single chapter needs to push the story forward. If we are in the same place at the end of the chapter that we were in at the start, that chapter is useless and it's going to slow the pace of the story down and it's going to make readers wonder why they're reading. They're going to put the book down and they're going to want to do something else. Um, um, something else to keep in mind, um, just for pacing in general, is for faster paced scenes, for example, fight scenes, arguments, battles, things like that. Um, I tend to focus a little bit more on shorter sense, uh, shorter sentences. Um, I will use less world building in those scenes. It's very, it, at least for me as a reader, it's very jarring to be reading a fight scene and then we get an in-depth description of a character's eye color and the splash of freckles on their nose. And it's like, they are fighting. They are trying to kill and stab each other. How is this character having the time to analyze the freckles, brushing their nose? Like, stop it, you know? So less description, less world building, get to the point, shorter sentences. Um, for slower paced scenes, for example, um, serious conversations or romantic moments where you want to linger in the moment, uh, think longer senses, senses, ugh, sentences, uh, deeper world building. That's where you can stop and smell the roses and describe how the roses smell and describe the petals on the roses. Um, and, and more description, especially if it's romance, that's the time to be like, oh, look at her, her billowing hair cascading down her shoulders. All or, that her <laughs> or her nipples. Or her nipples, yes. I'm oh, sorry, let's, I couldn't resist. <laughs> let's stop to describe just the wonder of her nipples. Um, another thing, and this, you know, some fantasy writers disagree, um, but this is this is my take on it. World building. The readers only need to know what they need to know. So a lot of fantasy writers, especially in these massive books, will devote chapters upon chapters to just building the world. And for me as a reader, this what's this is what gets me to put the book down. I don't need to know about your irrigation system or your complex complex taxation system. I don't give a shit. I am reading the book for the story, for the characters, for the action. So when it comes to world building, share the world in bits and pieces as it becomes relevant to the story and only as it becomes relevant to the story. This will speed up the pace. This will make it uh, the story more so focused on the story crazy concept and it'll make it so that people are constantly devouring their bo the book and they're not just sitting there like oh my gosh it's another chapter about the trees and the river I'm going to fucking blow my brains out so you know sprinkle in the world building when it becomes relevant this will help keep the story moving forward yeah I could not agree more <laughs> All right, we have a patron question. So the question is, all of your characters are so well developed. What advice would you give newbie writers or even seasoned authors to really bring their characters to life? My first piece of advice, especially for newbie writers, is character profiles. Um, if you are just getting started and you are not sure how to build a character, you can literally Google character profiles and you can find a sample profile. It's kind of like a dating app profile or like, you know, a, a social media profile, except way more in-depth and honest. You actually tell the truth here. So it's, it's going to be a list of qualifications that you fill out for your character, you know, going from gender, sex, age, uh, hair color, eye color, um, all the way down to personality. Are they an introvert? Are they an extrovert? Um, are they a pacifist? Are they a warrior? Um, what is their romantic experience? Um, are they a virgin? Are they, you know, super promiscuous? The, you, you can literally find these things online and fill out all the details and it will help you paint a well-rounded picture for them. Um, I think another thing to consider is if you are looking at your character and you're like, oh, they're the comic relief, 
or, oh, they're the token, or, oh, they're the sassy gay friend. If you can uh, summarize this character with some kind of cliche or, you know, stereotype, guess what you've written? You've written a cliche or a stereotype. Um, no one is just, in real life, no one is just the sassy gay friend. There is no such thing as the comic relief in real life. I don't know if you know this, but lots of people are funny. And Jenna? I'm your sassy gay friend. <laughs> <laughs> You're also the comic relief. What do we do? It's not <laughs> working. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. But yeah, like, lots of people in this world are funny. There is never, ever in the entire world just one funny friend, you know? And there is never, ever just one sassy gay person in a group. So if you are able to just kind of compartmentalize this person into one character trait, you're just writing a cliche. Uh, think about reality. Think about the fact that, like, my friendship group, almost everyone in the group is funny. That's why we get along, because we have the same sense of humor, you know? Like... Think about the reality of the situation. If you can easily sum up this person with just one characteristic, you done fucked up. It's not, it's not real. <laughs> oh, the brutal vice of Jennifer Essie. Like, love yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's, it's fine. Okay, so uh, going back to uh, the Savior's sister then. Obviously, I read it, and uh, you are an exquisite prick of an author <laughs> when it comes to romance. Like, Oh my god, I was screaming at the pages because I was desperate for some kind of banging fuck scene and I didn't get it, but uh, it left me like gagging for uh, the next book. So what advice do you have for writers wanting to create that really sensationally juicy romantic tease? Well, my first piece of advice is always tease. It, it doesn't, I don't mean like, like you mentioned in The Savior's uh, Sister, they don't bone in the first book. You don't have to tease to that extent. You can have them bone, it's fine. But what I mean is make the readers wait for the bone. Don't have it happen right at the start. One of my biggest things that I'm constantly telling people is if it's their first kiss in the book, it should not be their first bone as well because you want to prolong you want to create suspense you want people going oh my gosh i cannot wait for it to happen so always tease always drag it out i recommend a couple of almost moments you know those moments where they almost kiss but then someone barges in and they're like oh the moment's ruined um you don't want too many i read one book that, where there were five almost moments and every single time they almost did something someone barged in it starts to become a little formulaic and it's just stupid and it's not realistic that five times they almost kiss and then someone barges in. So just a couple, sprinkle in a couple and make the different reasons why it doesn't happen realistic. It can't be the same thing every single time. Um, otherwise it's going to feel deliberate. Um, while you are dragging out these moments, while you're waiting for them to finally do the do, focus on chemistry, okay? Give them moments where they laugh together. I am a slut for flirty banter. Give them all the flirty banter, okay? Have them poke fun at each other, have them be flirtatious and cute. Do, do, do so much of that and then people, readers are just going to be like, when the hell are they going to screw? Okay, so focus on all the banter and also focus on intimacy. A lot of people think intimacy means uh, penis in vagina or, you know, any other kind of sex. That's not what intimacy means. Intimacy means closeness. So focus on those close moments, that special glance shared across the room, focus on the light touch when one of them lightly touches the other one's hand, or focus on them holding hands, those sweet moments, that's also going to amp up the suspense and make people feel like, I want them to finally kiss, or I want them to finally have sex. Um, also, I definitely recommend uh, including some shared vulnerable experiences. Have them share something very meaningful, maybe something that they haven't told someone else. Having them find sort of a solace or a relief in one another. This will also make people really, really excited for when they finally do get physical. So those are my number one tips for sure. Mm, I love it. I love the um, sharing uh, a thing as well, because that can also create conflict in, in like other circumstances. So I think that's a fantastic tip. Exactly. Uh, okay, two more patron questions. What is the biggest lesson you've learned since starting your author career? Um, 
pretty much not to give a fuck. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, basically, when you get into this job, um, people always tell you, you got to have a thick skin, you got to have a thick skin. And, you know, we hear it and we believe it because every writer I know, even if they haven't published anything, they're all worried about what people are going to think when people finally read their work. They're all worried about that. So we all know you need to have a thick skin, but it's very hard to prepare yourself for when the moment finally comes. There, there's just no preparing for it. You just kind of have to dive in and experience it yourself. And when I say uh, you shouldn't give a fuck, do this for you, do this for like what you're passionate about and what you want out of your career. Sometimes people hear this and think, oh, so disrespect your reader don't listen to what your reader wants absolutely not what I'm saying in the slightest because you can find a balance between honoring your audience while still honoring yourself and quite often from what I have seen is if you truly are honoring yourself and what you want you will attract the kind of audience who is passionate about what you're passionate about so for example when I first started my writing journey um I'm I've always been a fan of books that are half action and adventure and half romance. That is my absolute shit. That is what I want to read. Um, but when I first started writing, I was nervous to write that because I thought people would judge me for writing a book that had a heavy emphasis on romance. I thought people would find it cheesy and stupid. And so when I first started writing, I always made romance like a background subplot. And I enjoyed what I was writing, but I didn't enjoy it to the extent that I would have if I had made the romance a heavier element. Um, and then when people started reading my work, the number one compliment I got was on my action and violence and on my romance people wanted to see more of those two elements which just so happened to be my favorite elements and it's because you can see the passion in those scenes you could tell that I was invested in those moments that they were my favorite moments and it, it came through in the writing and thus I attracted an audience who wanted those qualities so now I don't really give a fuck if people think romance is cheesy, if they think it's stupid or cliche, then they don't have to read romance. They can go read some other boring shit. But now I'm writing what I want to write, which is a series that focuses on, you know, stabby stab die die and kissy face boners and all that stuff. <laughs> so focus on what you're passionate about. Focus on what you want to create. Focus on what you want to read and you will attract the kind of audience who appreciates that as well. I think oh, I love that so much because I think this is okay like I'm sure everybody in every sector and every industry thinks their industry is one of the hardest industries but I really fucking think the creative industry is mm -hmm. one of the hardest industries to be in not least because so many people think we should work for free but also because it is so deeply competitive across all of the arts not just right. publishing or all, all of the arts in, are included in that um, and then also because we do put our work out there and we're putting ourselves out there to get given so much shit and and um, so like, I cannot agree more, like your reasoning for doing this job and for living and breathing and bleeding for this industry has to come from you and, and it has to, you know, be part of your why, I think, because otherwise, why the fuck would you do it? Because it's not exactly. like it's a fucking walk in the park, you know? Exactly. That, and that's what I'm always telling people because uh, uh, people will hit me up and be like, oh, I'm thinking about writing romance because it's pretty much the biggest fiction genre out there. And I want to make a lot of money. And I'm like, well, do you like romance? And they're like, not really. And I'm like, well, then what is the point? You, There are much easier ways to make a lot of money that don't involve busting your ass, writing a book that you don't even care about. So if you're going to become a writer, you might as well write something that makes you excited, write something that you're passionate about, write something that, you know, thrills you. Um, because otherwise, there are easier ways to make money, people. <laughs> don't, don't subject yourself to that. Do what you love. Ex oh, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay, next patron question is, what is your next future goal for yourself, your next milestone in your career? Well, my biggest milestone and pretty much the only one I was focused on for a really long time is I just wanted to be able to make a solid income and career off of writing. I know a lot of people, their goals are like New York Times bestsellers and don't get me wrong, that would be amazing. But um, I just wanted to be able to do this for a living. I just wanted to do what I love for a living. 
but now I'm doing that and I'm very happy about that. So I've reached that goal. And now uh, my goals are equally uh, pragmatic and <laughs> not exciting. And that's that I want to uh, be able to make it easier for me to do this, uh, to do what I love at, uh, uh, for a living. So my biggest goal right now is to delegate more. I have an assistant who is absolutely wonderful and I adore the crap out of her and she has made uh, my job a lot easier. I want to be able to delegate more of the business work, you know, to hired staff and things like that so I can put a lot more focus on what I love to do most, which is writing. So now that I'm at a place where I can delegate and I can afford to delegate and hand job, um, hand off jobs. Uh, <laughs> hand jobs. <laughs> hand jobs. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I heard and I lost it. <laughs> now that I can afford hand jobs, yeah. I'm gonna get them. <laughs> Amazing. <Okay. laughs> Sorry. Literally, I was like, <laughs> now that I, okay, that's what we're just going to talk about now. Yeah, uh, my okay. next career milestone is hand jobs all day, every day. <laughs> Jenna, hand job, Maresi, hand job, Enna, Maresi. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I'm like crying. Okay. I, I want to be able to focus more on writing and delegate, delegate more and hand off more jobs <laughs> to <laughs> other people. <laughs> so, uh, my wildest fantasy, and I know this doesn't even sound like that big of a deal to a lot of people, but my wildest fantasy would be to be able to release one book a year. I know a lot of people are like, there are authors who release 10 books a year. My books are large, okay, people? My books are like 500 pages. Give me a break. So if I could get to a point where I could release one book a year because so much of the other work is delegated elsewhere, I would be super happy. So that's what we're focused on right now. Uh, my fiance, Cliff, is constantly like, Jenna, calm down, like, relax, you're overworking yourself, delegate, you have an assistant, give her the job, and um, it's just, it's, I'm a control freak, it's hard to let go of all those little things, but he's always like, you need to relax, you, you overwork. Um, the other thing that I would like to do um, is uh, my YouTube channel, we do lots of uh, charity drives, and a lot of charity work, and things like that, and I would like to have more time to do more of those events. Um, Cliff is always saying, and I completely agree, that he says, if you have a voice and you don't use it to do something positive and meaningful, then what's the point? And so I want to be able to uh, do more events like that. Uh, a while back, we had a big charity drive where we raised a ton of money and school supplies for foster kids. And we want to be able to do more stuff like that because it makes you feel good and it makes the world a better place. And I got this audience. So let's, you know, put it to work, making the world a better place. I love it. What a beautiful um, goal. I love it. All right. This is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell us about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Um, oh my gosh. My first thought was, I think what I said in the first, the, our first interview, but it always comes to mind. Um, can I reuse it? Is that okay? I don't know. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I think what I said, because it's always the first thought that comes to mind, is just pursuing this career in the first place because no one except Cliff, no one except Cliff believed I could do it. I remember when I was in, I've wanted to be a writer since I was six years old. This has been my lifelong dream. And I remember when I was in uh, the sixth grade and I was in my math class, we went around the room and we were, we were supposed to announce what we wanted to do with our lives as you know, what we wanted to do as a career. And my math teacher was going to tell us how math relates to that. And she got to me and I said, I want to be a writer. And she couldn't think of a way that math related to it, which is stupid because a low book sales math is totally relevant to writing, but that's besides the point. So she just said to me in front of the whole class, well, you'll never succeed at that. You're going to be a homeless failure. And the class was just dead silent. And then I cleared my throat and said, I meant like writing journalism. And then she changed, oh, well, in that case, there's this and this and this. And um, I, I mean, I still remember it to this day. And that's just how sort of the entire world treated, you know, my dream of being a writer is I was constantly being told, you're going to be a failure. You can't make money doing that. You're going to be homeless. And I pursued the dream anyway. I was working full time um, in a math related job. What are the odds? And um, I was writing my book on the side and I just decided, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm, 
I'm gonna give it a shot. And if it doesn't work out, at least I can say I tried. Um, everyone that I worked with at my, you know, math related job uh, was making fun of me. They were all mocking me at work. They thought it was stupid. My family was not a fan. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I had family members actively trying to get me to stop working on the book. And now uh, it's my career and I am making double what I made at that regular safe math related job. I am making double that as a writer, the job that was supposed to make me a failure. So it's unbelievable <laughs> how many people out there, um, including teachers will try and pop your balloons. Like it, it really, shocks me to my core that there are still teachers out there who will try and stop children from following their dreams like I remember I had a French teacher and when I was at school um so when I look back at my childhood I I think as a kid I probably did want to write you know that's all I did I wrote journals at six, I think my youngest journal I had I was six when I started writing diaries and journals and I was always writing stories but <clears throat> the older I got the more you know, uh, society tells you to get a proper job and, and rightly so it is right. You know, we are in a risky business. You should have a, ba a backup and a plan B and, you know, thanks mum for making sure that I did have a backup. Um, but yeah, I still remember when my French teacher, so I got to the point in my teenage years where um, as lots of us indie authors, we skirt around the creative industries. Um, like it's so common that, that writers have been in the like one or other of the arts and I wanted to act. And um, she was like, well, you're never, you're never gonna make anything of yourself. And she literally said it to me in front of the whole class. And I still remember walking back into the class a year later to her French lesson and like the whole class going to her, to her, you know, and, and it's because I'd been on um, our British, so I don't know if you know what the BBC is, but I'd been on CBBC, which is a children's BBC um, as the lead character in a, in a TV show. And um, she was, absolutely yeah literally it was like fuck you miss um <laughs> and yeah she was flawed and like that's why i always love stories like this and why and one of the reasons i love the rebel author and one of the reasons that i think rebellion is so important because people there are always going to be people out there who are going to tell you no like any any dream you have it doesn't matter if it's math dream if it's if it's a, a creative dream or whatever dream somebody in your life is going to tell you no and and you know the the only thing that we can do is um soldier forward and give them the big fuck you exactly a lot of people i told the story about the math teacher um in one of my earliest videos and people commented like you should send her this video and i'm like dude she's probably dead okay she was like i'm being honest she was like 80 at the time she was ancient okay and that was in the sixth grade I'm 33, okay, guys, like, she's, she's long gone. I mean, either that or she's just, you know, very, very ancient right now. But uh, I, one thing I like to say, and a lot of, I guess, I get some uh, dirty looks when I say this, but it, it's true. Um, spite can be an amazing motivator. And I get a lot of people who hit me up and they say, what do you do if your family doesn't support you? And, uh, you know, support you writing, what should I do? And they say it to me like my family was like rallying around me. And like, like that, was, that was what I experienced. Like this is some unknown phenomenon, so uncommon. But most families don't really support people pursuing creative careers because they are risky. Um, that's very, very common. And so I, I always say, like, do you need their support? Is that somehow tied to your success to have mom and dad cheering you on with pom-poms? You don't need it. So just pursue it anyway. And like I said, spite can be an amazing motivator because after my math teacher said that to me, a lot of people would kind of curl up in a ball and be like, oh, I'm going to be a failure. I won't do it. Instead, I got pissed and I was like, well, fuck this bitch. I'm going to prove her wrong, you know? And, you know, like I said, people get very like, oh, don't don't encourage spite don't encourage meanness but it's not about being mean it's about taking something negative and turning it into something positive in your life yeah. taking something cruel someone said to you and turning it into a fire under your ass so you can prove people wrong and there are lots of famous people you know i think uh 
I think it was Michael Jordan, don't quote me on that, who said that part of the reason he became famous is because, or he became, you know, such a huge athlete is because he, a lot of people told him he couldn't do it. And he was so pissed that he felt even more determined to prove them wrong. So I yeah. say, if people are giving you shit about it, just work even harder so that you can rub it in their face later. Yeah, because there is no sweeter victory than that, I can tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. The best, the best revenge is a happy life, so... Well, yeah. And, and yeah, the best revenge is, is success. I suppose, you know, succeed in spite of them. Okay. Mm -hmm. Tell listeners where they can find out more about you and your books and your YouTube channel. Well, the most obvious place to find me is on YouTube, youtube.com slash Jenna Moresi. That's J-E-N-N-A-M-O-R-E-C-I. I am also all over social media, particularly active on Instagram. So instagram.com slash Jenna Moresi. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr. All of it is at Jenna Moresi. I'm very easy to find. I'm very consistent. And of course, uh, check out my dark fantasy series, uh, the Savior series. Uh, we got the Savior's Champion, which is available all over the place at all retailers, and the Savior Sister, book two in the series, also available all over the place including audible so the savior's champion because obviously podcasters they do uh, podcast listeners tend yes. to listen to a lot of audible uh, audiobooks mm-hmm. so yeah also are you wide are you on all or is it audible only i'm not <laughs> sure i think it's wide i i think it's wide um it's it's yeah i think it's wide but i i know okay. audible is the main one <laughs> okay fine 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 uh just a trick here there <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. It was a pleasure as always. Happy to be here. It really is always a pleasure. I absolutely adore speaking to you. Thank you also to all of the show's listeners and a huge thank you to all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the show's episodes, then you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And that's Sasha with a C and not an S. I'm Sasha Black, you are listening to Jenna Moresi, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week is a special show because I have not one, but two guests. I have Jeff and Will from the Big Gay Author and Big Gay Fiction Podcasts, and we are going to be talking all about podcasting for authors. They are super fun, and I adore them, and uh, yeah, so I am excited for you guys to listen to this one, so tune in next week, and I will see you back as normal next week. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.